So hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest is Aaron Conley. How's it going, Aaron? Not bad, thank you. Um, thanks for having me on. No, it's finally nice to get it done. We've been, been dancing on each other for a while. <laughs> been, at this point, haven't we? It's been a while. Um, I really enjoy the podcast. I love what you do. Um, giving people a platform to come on and just tell honest stories from Glasgow and around. And it's uh, something I've always really enjoyed. So, you know, it's well, podcasts much, like yourself as well that I always listen to and subscribe to. So. It's always weird when a, my own name pops up in my podcast feed, which will happen soon. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, cool. Me too, I mean, even Aye. for me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, fuck, man, I don't, there must be some so, something different about it. Like, when doing your own podcast, it's like, aye, that's fine. But when you're, um, it becomes like a, aye, an ordinary thing when you do it, but then you pop up on somebody else's show and you're like pure, as you say, sitting at the lamp, up on the other end of the table, got pure... Uh, how's this going? Uh, <laughs> an element of responsibility that you don't really care when it's your own platform. But anyway, mate. Um, so I think that I mean I've definitely read quite a bit about your story, but mm-hmm. just to sort of um, give people an idea of what you're about and stuff. Um, you're obviously like a big mental health advocate. Yep. But you've had your own experiences of that. So, I so I mean everything that I do is driven by my own experiences and my own troubles, if you like. So. I've sort of suffered with depression for, I think, medically diagnosed with clinical depression about six years ago now, five and a half, six years ago. Obviously, depression comes and goes, so over that time, I've been very up and down, Mm -hmm. but sort of looking back into my childhood, I can really trace it back to my teenage years, mainly anxiety back then, but Mm -hmm. sort of the anxiety giving you that low mood, that probably really early signs of depression, Mm -hmm. that now being 15 years on, it would probably get picked up in a teenager now, but yeah. it wasn't picked up in me back then, and I had no idea what it was until my early 20s. Um, and it was actually my wife, Siobhan, who sort of pointed it out to me. Right. Because she's a nurse with a medical background, so she sort of understood the signs very early in our relationship, actually. Um, but, I mean, I just thought at that time that I'm just, like, one of these pessimistic people. Mm-hmm. I'm just a bit of an introvert. I'm quiet. Yeah. I, I don't have any confidence and stuff, but actually it's probably it was probably more the fact that I was sort of struggling with mental health issues mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. So, I, that's the main part of my story, obviously, is around, and a lot of what people want to speak to me about now is like around the suicide attempt this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I say it in almost a blase way, but I think I've told this story so many times, I'm almost numb to it. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about this little off night before you came into the room. We were, we were having a conversation with my girlfriend, and it was like one of the, the sort of things that, had cropped up when I was thinking about the podcast was does sort of having because this is something that me and Matt have had today as well where yeah. we have to keep getting into your story and yeah. obviously you're doing different platforms and people want to hear your story but do you think that it sort of keeps you in it a wee bit? A wee bit so I had a really good conversation with my counsellor about this about two weeks ago now mm. and uh, she was sort of saying to me like you want to move on for being that guy, and it's so true. And my wife's massive on that to me too. It's yeah. like I don't want to always be the guy who tried to kill himself. Absolutely. And I'm trying to find ways, and I, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. it. Of course, it forms a massive part of my life. A mm-hmm. really traumatic experience at the time, and the four weeks in hospital afterwards were also really traumatic. And there's great learnings that I've taken from that, and that mm-hmm. other people can perhaps learn from. And I think I like to help people sort of understand the mindset of a suicidal person. So yeah. I prefer to delve, delve into that than to say, oh, I stood two steps short of a train, a train track. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you right. know, I've had families reach out to me who've lost people and sort of said, like, what was your mindset? And 
have been able to engage in a powerful conversation like that mm-hmm. to me feels far more beneficial than just saying I'm with you oh, there by the way respect. I nearly killed myself I think in a recent episode that I appeared on elsewhere like I found it quite difficult because I'm kind of quite removed for a number of the attempts that I'd made on my mm-hmm. life previously and stuff like that so like going back to them five ten years later was quite a weird experience because yeah. I'd kind of no let it go but I'd concentrated on what I'd learned for it yeah. you know what I mean like, so I can get where you're coming from in that respect and as I say, like it's <clears throat> you don't want to be defined by one thing, especially when what you've taken with it is created and, and contributed to something so overwhelmingly positive yeah. in, in a similar kind of area. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think that's so true. Like, I as I said, it was traumatic and it was really traumatic back then, and it I, I, like the recovery from it's been really, really difficult and it's still ongoing. But what I've taken from it is huge positives. Like yeah. my life has changed tenfold and continues to change on a mm-hmm. daily basis. My mindset's changing every day. I'm actually learning who I am as a person, mm-hmm. whereas previously I was probably lost for a long time. Yeah. So I'm trying to really focus on, yes, suicide prevention is crucial, and I do a lot of work in that area with people mm-hmm. on probably a daily basis. I have great people in crisis reaching out to me, just begging for help. Yeah, And that's such a crucial aspect of what we do at Back On Side, I mean, before we got into it. But mm-hmm. I think what, we all, what I really want to focus on in my life going forward is a, about, you know, getting away from the crisis intervention stage and sort of looking at crisis prevention, like, like how can we intervene quicker in people's lives yep. and help them to learn a little bit about themselves, start yep. checking themselves before we get to that crisis stage. Absolutely. I'm just really tired of picking up my phone and seeing that someone else has taken a life or X amount of people have tried or people are feeling like that. Like, it fucking breaks my heart. Yep. Excuse my language, but... No, no, oh, I swear away, mate. It, <laughs> it's all good. It, it, it genuinely, it hurts, man, because I've been that person, I've been in that place. Yeah. And I have a guilt attached to it still that I'm trying to deal with, but it just hurts me and I just think, I mean, everyone can do a bit more. We can all do I a bit more. I think that that's probably an important thing to talk about is that when you identify with things like if you've had a suicide attempt or if you've had episodes of depression or you've, whatever it might have been, the thing in your life... If you keep like this sort of idea of going over it and you build your identity around it, you'll never really be able to let go of that guilt because yeah. it's all it's like almost like yeah. you. It is yeah. you. Whereas I think that for me personally, being able to distance yourself and going, that isn't the person that I am. Yeah. I'm I'm a different person for that. Or yeah. even that that I wasn't that person then. It was just aye, something aye, that was happening aye, to me. Aye, yeah. I had no aye. control over it. And I think that that's definitely like a, a healthier sort of mindset to be in rather than a lot of people like I watch a lot of Russell Brand and I love his message. Right. But me and my girlfriend have a lot of conversations where I'm like, he really identifies with his addictions. Yeah. It's part of who he is. Mm. Yeah. And he, and and I think that there needs to be a point where you let that go and you put yourself into what you're saying, which is like, how can I help other people? Which he definitely does. Yeah. But it's almost like his identity is built up in a bit where he, he yeah. keeps on. He, he, he almost like, you hear a sort of joy when he's like, hmm. I was a drug addict and, now I'm a, and then I was an alcoholic and then I was a sex addict. It's almost like he likes that sort of, whereas like, I'm getting sick of it. I think like, I'm <laughs> just getting sick of that sort of like. I can see that like, it's obviously a really, it's a really positive message if you say, oh, I was a, a really bad depression and mm-hmm. now I'm going through a stage of recovery and I don't feel suicidal anymore and stuff like that. But I want to completely move away from being that almost killed himself guy. Yeah. To, mm. He's someone I can speak to, I can look at, yeah. I can learn from. Here's a guy making a difference. Uh, he, he, uh, here's someone who, can, who I'm comfortable speaking to. Like, yep. um, my, a really big thing for me is learning to be a good listener. So like, you get so many people coming out and it's a pure... like silly phrase but you've got two ears and one mouth right but 
like focusing on that and just learning how to listen to people and that yeah. could be listening to people because they're reaching out to you for help or listening to people who have been there or who have had similar experiences mm-hmm. I can pick and learn up from and mm-hmm. learn from um, so I'm like totally my mindset is in like it's almost like a crossroads right now where I'm just going through stuff and trying to change myself first yeah. or not ch- maybe change myself isn't the right word going back to what you said Paul maybe it's just that I was this person, I just didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. So it's like looking inward and trying to understand so it. This is something that resonates with me because similar to yourself, um, obviously I'm, a f- well, I'm assuming a fair bit older, we'll not get into it again. <laughs> As we tend to... <laughs> who who, who uh, this fucking podcast? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's becoming an, a, a weekly a weekly tough. Um, but like at 19, 20, that's when I got my first diagnosis. And when you're saying about being that person, like... Twenty nineteen twenty years old, you're not equipped okay. to deal with that type of diagnosis. You know what I mean? And fortunately for you, you had you know a, a medical professional in your life. But for a lot of people out there, that's not the case. And I think you know coming to terms with like that person is is quite a quite a difficult thing for a lot of people. But like also, what I like is and again resonates with me is like I think we're at a point now where awareness isn't enough. It's great when people go, let's raise awareness. Like I love the fact that you're like, no, I need to do something. Like mm-hmm. and you're now working towards that goal. I I, think I had a minor tiff on Twitter last week on Mental Health Awareness Day. Right. But, and the day I struggled on that day, just going through my feed, just seeing all these people doing it's quite hashtags. Doing seeing all these people doing hashtags, seeing all these people saying talk, 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 mm-hmm. and I'm like, I great, let's talk. What the fuck are we doing after we talk? Mm-hmm. Like, I can come and say to anyone, I've got depression, I'm on medication, but then what? Like, so I can talk about it for one day a year and then what? Yeah. Mm. And I know the premise of that is fantastic. Yes, let's get people talking. Mm-hmm. Let's get people listening. Let's get people taking action. So yeah. massive on peer-to-peer support. And we can talk about it a bit later, but I'm like starting up some support groups and stuff. Some, cool. And I like to move away from the support group term because it makes it feel like a rigid, non-fluent mm-hmm. type of thing. But um, I last week, I think I tweeted basically the day after saying, look, Yesterday was great and there was a lot of talking, a lot of hashtags and everything else. Mm-hmm. But the conversations are just as important today as they were yeah, yesterday. what's happening so in the day? The 11th of October is just as important as the 10th of October. Yeah. So are we all doing hashtags today? Are yeah. we all talking today? Or are we no. all just going back to our normal lives? And I know that sounds a bit crass and some people are like, oh, but we're just doing what we can because we can't just have these conversations every day. But there's yeah. people fucking dying every single day. So see while people are dying, we uh, need to talk more we and we need to listen more and we need to take more action. Mm-hmm. And not everyone has to jump on their Twitter or their, any social media and become a mental health advocate or whatever else, but just It's just probably try. important that everybody well, does I think that, that, That's a good point, is, is that if... Oh, not to be a dick, but if all that you're doing is a hashtag, then it's not enough. Like, are you... The day before Mental Health Awareness Day, did you ask your best mate, was he all right? Exactly. Like, are you doing it the next day? Are you actually having these conversations? I think a lot of the time, I look at when these things... I'm, I'm quite cynical as an individual but when I see these things I don't really take part in them I didn't yeah. tweet on Mental Health Awareness Day because I was like well I took care of my mental health yesterday I've got yeah. my routine that's happening every day yeah. and when I'm in work if somebody comes up like I've got an office and if somebody comes up the stairs and I hear them walking up the stairs slowly and it's ugh, I'm always like is everything alright mm-hmm. no no I, everything's fine and I'm like no but seriously because you just trundled up the stair and you're huffing and puffing like what's wrong with you I'm not having a go at you I'm just saying is everything alright nine times out of ten they'll be like oh fuck see last night blah 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 right. and, and alright I've get I'm being selfish because I'm managing people and I'm saying to them right get it out I'm listening 
that shit, put it to one side and let's get to work and use work as a distraction to get yeah. you out of this mindset and go down. And I'll check back in with them next, like yeah. throughout the day, make sure they're all right. Sent a message to the guy that's like my manager on duty saying, so and so wasn't feeling great yesterday, just mentally going to make sure that you check in well. He's yeah. like, right, I've already checked in well, she's all good. But that is the things that I do every day. Now, I'm not being like I'm perfect or like, no. but if, if you are being a mental health advocate and you're on Twitter and you're talking about these things, but then you're going out and you're rattling your horn at people yeah. and you're being addicted to the last in Tesco that's like no pack in the bag the way you, yeah. you like it or you're being an arsehole to your wife and yeah. your girlfriend, then you need to sort of like practice what you're preaching, do you know what I mean? Aye, and, and don't get me wrong, I still have my moments where... Aye, we all do. Aye, aye, <laughs> where I still do things like that, like my wife will be testament to it, I can, <laughs> I can be a grumpy <laughs> bastard at times, but I'm not saying that I'm out here trying to be perfect, but I'm just out here trying to change or, Again, I'm using the word change, I don't want to, but just trying to be a bit better. So, mm-hmm. and I, I just encourage others to do it. Like, we don't all need to be, and we're not qualified either. Like, mm-hmm. very few of us are qualified to jump on Twitter and save the world or yeah. to save a person who comes to you and goes, by the way, I'm standing here with 50 diazepam, I'm going to pop them. Like, I'm not qualified to deal with that. All mm-hmm. I can do is try and talk them down and signpost them. Yeah. So, I think it's about understanding what you can control and controlling your controllables. But mm-hmm. first of all, like, look inward first. And then we can start looking outward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I the, mental, the whole mental health thing is fantastic. Like, I remember six years ago when I got diagnosed, I thought the diagnosis was going to cure me. Yeah. I thought the diagnosis and the first set of pills, and I thought, I, thought, I remember the doctor saying to me, two or three weeks of taking them, you'll feel better. So I thought, fine, great. Two or three weeks of taking these, I'll be cured and I'll be myself again, or I'll be a better version of myself. Mm-hmm. Six months down the line, I was still lying on the couch because. Nothing changed. Aye. I didn't do anything differently. Mm-hmm. I just popped a pill a day. I think that's the thing when it's salty is like a sort of silver bullet that, you know, a lot of folk make that mistake when it comes to their medication is that they go two or three weeks time you feel better. They don't tell you that for that two or three weeks your body will be an absolute war zone. Mm-hmm. Um, that at the end of that process you might need to begin again or change or up dosages, down dosages, you know what I mean? Like It needs to be dialed in and yeah. it needs to be specific to you. And like, I find that, you know, a lot of the criticism that people get are or have a like you know being medicated for mental health issues is that people don't always necessarily feel the benefit of it, no. but it's because you know I, I, I'm overstressed and sort of under resourced NHS sometimes yeah. don't have any other option but to throw pills at people. I, I think on you know, I think it, what is it on average you get six, each GP gets six minutes per patient. Mm-hmm. Now I can't come in to a GP and tell you in six minutes what's making me feel that Absolutely way. Absolutely not. Uh, That's it. Man. And therapy then, can be <sighs> ten weeks. Do you know what I mean? You know what, ten I've hours. been engaging in therapy for the best part of nine months now. In fact, probably closing on a year actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be. I had a period where. I wasn't engaging, which sort of culminated in everything that happened in April, where I was struggling to engage with work and stuff. But I'm still going through it. I've seen multiple different therapists, multiple different types of therapy. I'm mm-hmm. on my fifth SSRI attempt, and I had a conversation with someone the other day, and he was saying, your doctor has six minutes to talk to you. He's as well as putting a dartboard up and chucking a dart at it. <laughs> Absolutely. And his medication, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember I someone one time when he actually Googled my symptoms, the guy. I, mean, mm-hmm. I was like, so here's where I'm at, you know, uh, just put it all out there on the table. And he was like, cool, give me a wee sec. And it, it wasn't a Google, but it was like whatever the NHS mm-hmm. equivalent was. And then he came back, but there you go, there's straightling. Mm-hmm. Like, seen, seen four weeks. And, mm-hmm. like, and that's no slight on GPs. No, like, no, you no. have to deal with a whole right. host of things and... We talk about this a lot where we're we're not having a go at the individuals and we talk about the lack of resource that GPs get. And I mean, I think the last four or five times I've been to my GP, it's been a student that's sitting in front of me. And you're almost like, right, okay. Um, But it's no, my grievance isn't the way 
the person that's sitting in front of me, my grievances with the system that yep. they work within, they're just working within a system and they're yep. going through their education. No, I. They're getting a six foot five, 36 year old guy coming in that's pissed off at the system that they're <laughs> working within. Do you know what I mean? I can't imagine that they like me much either. But yeah. um, it, it, I think that in that sort of space, the GPs are under so much pressure. And again, they aren't even qualified no. to deal with these things. Like, we no. don't have. Where, where are the like psychotherapists or the CBT guys that you don't need to go and pay 35, 50 quid an hour to go and talk to that you can yeah. get for free. Yeah. This is the type of thing that people need, do you know what I mean? And there's just none out there for them. I think that's why we're seeing the growth in these pop-up things like Back On Side as yeah. a charity, like Men Matter Scotland who you've had on mm-hmm. like yep. these type of peer-to-peer things and it's why I'm so massive on it. Like, There's a lot of mental and this is really key as well there's a difference between having poor mental health and having a mental illness right so absolutely. a lot of people don't understand that yep and a lot of people just think that it's all mental health yeah so i'm struggling with mental health well are you struggling because you're not living your life right and you're not doing the right stuff and is there things that we can change that would make a difference or do you have a disorder that's an actual yeah. mental illness so yeah there's a lot of the poor mental health aspect of it where we can help each other a lot before yeah, even engaging in many services. Definitely. And that's sort of where I think that I want to focus in my life is that, yes, I've been clinically diagnosed with depression, but there's a whole lot of stuff I can do better to make myself feel right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well as that, yes, I might have need, the need for medication. I've been told I do. So that's fine. I'll engage in that and I'll take the medication. I'm not sure how I feel about it really, but for the time being, the last six months has helped me. So I'm going yeah. to go down that route. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of things I've done and changed in my life that have really helped me feel better mentally. Yeah. And I want to help others do that. Now, everyone's different. Everyone's got different needs. Everyone's Absolutely, got different likes and stuff like that. So what works for me might not work for you, Paul, you yeah. But I can, I use a whole host of different tools. I, mean, I call it my toolbox, but I use a whole host of different yeah. stuff. So if I can help you engage in, or like, so you like writing, let's start a fucking writing group then and we'll get together and we'll sit and we'll just try yeah, and then we'll see. And if you're doing, if you're engaging in actions like that every day, then slowly but surely you start to turn that truck, and things mm-hmm. will start to get better. Mm-hmm. But and if you have a disorder, then or a, or a, a genuine mental illness, then yes, you need to engage in services, and I can uh-huh. signpost you. Yeah, and if you're feeling a bit shit, I can talk to you and I can listen. But there's a huge difference, and I think it's sort of getting there's blood lines at the minute because yeah. everyone wants to talk about it, and it's great. As it keeps saying fantastic that we all want to talk and everything yeah. people are being more open and people feel more safe in their environment that they uh-huh. can chat I've, openly I about there's stuff a, like there's a small connection maybe to this between because there's a lot we, we spoke to our previous guest Mandy Rose Jones about the stigma being medicated yeah but yeah. there's people out there or there is a movement of people that and I think they're just ill-informed where they think that you don't need the SSRIs you yeah. can go to the gym eat right yeah. meditate write journal gratefulness all these things which work i think in the sort of pandemic area that we see of yeah. poor mental health yeah but if you're mentally ill yeah you need intervention you need medication and right? like right. to actually yeah. be like thinking less of somebody because they medicate uh, i think is just ridiculous absolutely out. ridiculous I'm i mean was saying it saved her life yeah being getting medicated saved her life and she's ongoing and she's had sort of well. stigma thrown at her because of it, and you're yeah. like, "Wow, that's in, that's crazy." But she's actually clinically depressed. Whereas yeah. somebody who, and this isn't me like victim blaming. We live in a sort of time where like, you need to tread very carefully. But if you've you're not enjoying your job, you've got no creative outlet. You don't see your pals. 
you don't like your family. There's things that it's you don't be. you don't exercise every day. Your diet's shite. There's things. There's work to be done. Yep. And once you do all that work, or you do some of that work, you still don't feel right. Maybe there's something. But yep. I, I absolutely agree with you that I've like personally, I was never mentally ill, yep. and I've never needed medication. But my life was a fucking shit show. Yeah. So I've tried to sort these things out, and I feel a lot better. So that's shown me that, that that's great. End. The spectrum where I have needed medication yeah, I and know. also had a bit of life, it's a shit show. But I think that's where we're meeting in the middle mm-hmm. and I think that's where, where you know, the points that you're making come across to me because, like, these peer-to-peer groups, like, we love having guys like yourself on and, you know, talk about these type of things because, like, these these groups are out there literally fucking saving the world at the minute as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Like, providing a service and a structure and a level of support to people who... If it is a situational um, sort of, you know, dip yep. or poor mental sort of health, as we've been discussing it, then, you know, sometimes that is all folk need is like, we'll catch up twice a week, we'll have a yep. bladder of coffee, we'll play football or, you know, yep. we'll do whatever it is, we'll go for a hill walk or Wouldn't any it? of the number of examples that we've seen for these groups and like, such a simple thing having such a massive impact on people's lives and I think that's why I particularly love having guys like yourself on here. I think it's... So a massive thing for me is isolation. So people, yes. when they feel down, they, the first thing you do is isolate yourself. Yeah. I don't want to go to that. Yeah. I don't want to go to work today. Mm-hmm. And when you start to go down that route and you go into that rabbit hole, it's very, very hard to get out. So see if we, if you can create things that stop people from having that mm-hmm. isolation. So if I find out what you're interested in, and I get, if someone, I, I get people reach out to me, I like playing football. Right, well, in your area, I know there's a five-a-side group going on. I think to go back on site to have drop-ins yep. in loads of areas in Scotland. Look, go along with that. Mm-hmm. Make that a commitment and make it a non-negotiable commitment in your life. Yep. And let's see what comes off the back of it. And yes, every day is going to be fucking hard. And of course it is. Like, I would still wake up. I, I've been doing a tweets recently every morning, just sort of sharing my morning routine with people just to say, mm-hmm. look, this is what I'm doing. Have you know, like running at seven o'clock in the morning? I've been getting like, up at five in the morning. Here, man, like <laughs> five a.m. runs, uh, like doing runs and a bit of meditation. Shaming me, I was, I was lying in my bed. Pure. That's me. In the, that's me in the extreme, though. Like I need to do it in the extreme because at the end of the day, I've still got a forty-hour working week. Aye, and I'm four hours travelling a day back and forth to work, and I've got a wife and a, a son who I need to get up at seven and get nursery. So I need day two hours to get. Well, my to reaction get was entirely more about me than you. But, you know, I've tried to share that to people just to say, look, this is what I'm doing. So everyone always asks me. Of course. And I spoke about this uh, on the Blethered podcast with Sean. Like, everyone's first question to me is, how did you beat this? I'm like, didn't fucking beat it. See, if you knew me, you'd see how how hard some of my days can be and how hard I need to work just to be on a level keel at times. Yep. Um, But, I mean, it's just, I'm just wanting people to understand that, yes, there is help available. it kills me that we need set, we need like charities like back on site and stuff to step in because the mm-hmm. services are failing. I can't fix that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm not about to jump into politics and that and like no. that shit either. So I can if that's what it needs and that's what it needs and I can signpost it to the right places and find mm-hmm. and stuff. But we can I just think as a society and we are slowly changing and yeah, I can see some people starting to really get on board with the whole let's just be a bit nicer to each other, let's just be a bit more empathetic yeah. and compassionate to other people's needs. Let's it's really starting to change slowly. I think the more and more that happens and the more people are honest with themselves about mm-hmm. what their lives are like, we'll see less of this mental health epidemic that I yeah. keep hearing about 
and it will come, and the focus will slowly switch to right who has genuine disorders that we need to get the services mm-hmm. to. I think isolation is one of the ones that comes up time and time again, as you were mentioning. I think as I was going back through previous episodes recently for various things, like you know, even all the way back to when we spoke to like Dan Proverbs in like episode five, you know, like over a year ago, like isolation was the big thing, and I think it's because we've spent so much time in our cubicle at the office, you know, yeah. faced in our phone or headphones on and the laptop or, you know, the modern world seems more and more to, like, force us into just that we yeah. individualise sort of personal space, you know, where uh, you're nice and manageable. And I think when you become isolated on top of all these other sort of societal factors, it, it's a really daunting thing. I mean, I actually quite like a bit of free time. Like, I'm, I, there's times I say to him, I never spoke to anybody for 24 hours a day and it was mm-hmm. magic. Mm-hmm. But that's part of my process is that I actually sometimes need to be better, like, Aye. isolation. Um, but, like, I know that's not the same for everybody and, like, these groups, like, when they, they actually provide even just the space for people to come because whether we want to admit it or no, like, we're social animals. Like, yeah. we yeah. need other people. Yeah. You know what <clears> I mean? Like, and I think providing that space for people to then just explore themselves and around like-minded people is absolutely vital. So it does like, Aye, absolutely, man. I think like <clears throat> we'll start. I, I genuinely think that we're just starting to see the sort of the the effects of individualism. Yeah. Like we live in a world where it's just all about you, and mm-hmm. it just doesn't work for people. Yeah. I think that no matter how much we would love it to just be able to, like Matt says, it's it's a bite-sized thing about life, isn't it? If yeah. you could, it's just about me. And I manage myself and my money and my house and that's it. Nobody else outside. Don't want to talk to my neighbours. Who are these guys? No, that's too much for me. I don't want to deal. We're starting to see people when we're like 30 years into that. And it's been like a sort aye, of social like experiment. That's, aye, it's like aye, when the, the, the neoliberal or the neoconservatives. But we're starting to see people go, this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many conversations we have, one thing that keeps on coming up for us is community. Yeah, and community is so important to people, Aye. like-minded people. That that doesn't necessarily mean to say that it needs to be. I think that I was victim of this myself, and where I lived previously, I used to stay in Shettleston, and the full course was for uh, Eastern Europeans. So I just felt like I've got nothing in common with these people. Don't want to talk to them, blah blah mm. blah. And it took for like a gang of Neds to start hanging about the course for me to chat the door and go, "Ah, oh, what the fuck's going on in this course? Mm. Like, you need to start coming out. I'm going out. Mm-hmm. I'm getting abuse after them. You need to do the same thing." And then all of a sudden we sorted it. It was like four weeks of hell and then a day of me chatting the doors and it's like, I look back at that and think, fuck man, like this this is what's missing in the world is that we don't respect each other. We don't respect the neighbours. It's almost like we're in constant competition with each other yep. and it's not working. It just isn't working out for people, man. It's, it's, it's Social media isn't to blame, right? But it's a tool that you can use for that competition. So mm-hmm. how often do you scroll through your feeds and compare yourself and go, fuck, why have I not got that six-pack? Why have I not yeah. got that Mercedes-Benz? Why am I in a two-bedroom flat and not a four-bedroom house? Do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm 28 and he's 25. Aye. Why is he doing better than me? Yeah. And it's it's so easy to get caught up in that lifestyle. And I still do it to this day. Like, I'm actually, I like to think I'm actually quite good with the social media aspect of it. That mm-hmm. I only use Twitter and I use it pretty well. Like, I've met some unbelievably good people on Twitter. Yeah. I very rarely scroll through my feed anymore because I'm just so busy like replying to the engagements I get of from course. like-minded people. So 
it's actually really helped me that my Twitter's getting busier with people reaching out because mm-hmm. it just means I spend less time going like that and yeah. scrolling and looking at it. Yeah. Screaming into the void. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I mean, social media, there's two, two flip, there's flip sides to it. So I, like I said, you could spend hours sitting on an Instagram feed and I used to do it myself before. Mm-hmm. I, I had to take Instagram off my phone for this reason that I was just looking at it going, I'm so unworthy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have any of this stuff. Why don't I have any of this stuff? Yeah. Like, I've got a good job. I've got a career, but why can't I afford to go buy that nice big car or... Why can't I have that nice big house? Or why don't I have a six pack? Or why is he cooking his five fucking perfect meals a day and I've not got time to do that? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it could be as simple as that. Yeah. And that just drives people into this. I'm no good enough, and the the self loathing and the self hate mm-hmm. is just gets driven from there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is why I ended up in the place I was in. Like going back way back to my early teens, like we didn't have social media then, but I was looking at people go make it. Like I was played football from such a young age and. Went through the whole academy system. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the up went full time at sixteen, anxiety levels through the roof. Couldn't deal with it, and it wasn't a real pressure. But I created this external what I thought was external mm-hmm. pressure. Mm-hmm. But just seeing boys, he's got to train the first team today, and I'm like, fuck sake, why is that not me? Aye. I'm working just as hard as him. It's got to be a weird environment in that one. I, I, I was at a, a STUC event where they were talking about mental health and community and stuff like that about six months ago and one of the um, groups that sort of stood up and spoke was uh, PFA Scotland mm-hmm. um, and they were talking about how and it, something I'd never considered because I've, I've been going to the Celtic matches on and off for 10-15 years yep. like football has been a huge part of my life even though you know I couldn't run the length of myself at this point but like when they were explaining to me the pressures that particularly young footballers are on like contract to contract you know you could yeah. be sitting in the reserves but well, as you say for all you know your entire team that you've come through the ranks with get bumped to the next level and you mm-hmm. don't like there's all sorts of pitfalls and anxieties and stuff that i don't know that we would like i mean i wouldn't have been able to handle these types of pressures at yeah. 19 20 Absolutely. never mind to handle them at 15 16 where you're having to think about an actual professional career when you're essentially a child that's all you're set up for you it's not it's from eight years old, I went into the academy system at eight years old. So from eight till I was 20 when I finally dropped out of professional football, that was all I thought I had. Mm-hmm. So that was it. My yeah, whole identity was wrapped up in But into it, we're almost like, I mean, I've spoke about this many a time and I'll not go into it again because it would just bore the fucking tits off people. But I wanted to be, I was in a band and I wanted to be a rock star. And I, mm-hmm. I had this dream in my mind of like, this is, this is all I've got. Like, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And when you don't do it, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. It's so devastating. And then when when I'm in my 30s and I look back and I think less than 1% of people that actually try make it. Yeah. And I go so far that I should have been proud of what I did, yeah. really. And that's the key. And that, that is that. I mean, if you think about Celtic, just as a... And Man City, the Premiership, the premiership teams are even worse for this, but Celtic and Rangers, how many players have come through and made it at Celtic that yeah. have come through that academy? They'll have squads of 40 boys every year, every age group. Going uh, through, and you're talking what Kieran Tierney, James Forrest, Callum McGregor. But you look at the age three range, in the last uh, ten years uh, that have actually come through and actually made it on to be a, a, a Celtic player, and then maybe you're talking like the Liam Hendersons, maybe another four or five boys in that ten years that have went out and made it at like other teams. So the percentage of these guys that actually make it is so small. So to tell an eight-year-old. This is what you're going to push for. This no. it's ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's so ridiculous, and I think that one thing that's actually really concerning me. If you like, do you listen to um, what Cy Ferry's podcast? Uh, like it's 
it's a brilliant podcast. Yeah, it's great. For, it's great at what it does, right? I it's love fantastic. Got a really good relationship with Sai just off the back of speaking out, and he reached out to me, and he's great, great, great guy. And his podcast he's is hilarious. Class. It's, a, like, it's hilarious. For an hour, it's a great t- just to go. Get away from the world. This is class. You hear old professionals sort of lament and reminisce about this day when older professionals would come in and basically bully, bully, bully. young guys mm-hmm. and they're looking and it's different now it's changed they're not going to produce these professionals you can't do that anymore they're too weak and you're like no things are changing mm-hmm. and you're getting left behind mm-hmm. unfortunately because mm-hmm. the way that it worked for you isn't working for people anymore like yep. you ended up with people committing suicide we didn't know about it we didn't have social media we didn't have like but you had people getting left on the scrap heap they're Aye. basically just getting left and no support and you know what I mean like I've heard stories about guys that were told I mean I think there was one story in particular about the guy who was like the captain of Celtic youth development for the age of like nine all the way through until he was 18 he was told you're going to be you're going to be the boy you're going to be the boy you're going to be the boy he turned 18 and went don't want you right. and he basically was just like what did I do here yep. I've been Aye. told for my full life that I'm the best yep. like I'm the best guy in this youth development captain say all the way through you're the main man and then just left and you need to go you've fucked your education you've no got your education you've no went to uni You've no get the pals, you don't have the support structure, all that you've got is this dream and everything else just crumbles underneath it, man. And I think that the reason that they're coaching boys more now and they're putting their arm room boys more now and guys like Pogba and, and you get guys like Roy Keane on talking about like Jesse Lingard and like these guys are soft and blah, blah, blah. It, it is literally like it's an old way of doing things that's yep. getting left behind and we need to evolve it because... Yep. We can't continue to bully people like to like be the best. Everything, you know else, everything else in life evolves, right? So yeah, we already right, didn't have a mobile phone thirty years ago. You've got one now, so football's evolving just in the same way that technology is. Exactly. Everything evolves. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Without without posting any blame to football for the problems I've had, it probably did play a big, a yeah. massive part. Like my whole identity being wrapped up in that up until, if I'm being truly honest, maybe a year or so ago mm-hmm. when I went. Fuck, I'm not going to be a footballer. And that doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's me, 27 years old, already married, already got a great career, already got a house, car, all this material stuff as well, got a son, mm-hmm. like, got everything that anyone could ever imagine. But I'm still, like, wrapping myself up in this fucking football dream that died years earlier. And it's like, I just was never taught or set up to, like, if this doesn't work out, what do you do? I was yeah. I was a lucky one. I managed to stumble into a job in Glasgow City Centre opening mail in an investment firm and I worked my fucking nuts off for the next 10 years to move up through the ranks. Fair play you, man. But most footballers or potential footballers mm-hmm. will chase that dream until the end and then they'll turn around at 21, 22 years old and it'll be like, life falls apart. Yeah, your entire life is now in tatters at 22, yeah. 21 years old. Like that's It's a shame that people need to go through that and thankfully, in terms of the conversation that you know they had with the, the guys at the STUC and PFA Scotland, like, this was something that they are starting to mm-hmm. acknowledge and they are starting to make a lot more time for younger coming. guys. So, you know, the more the merrier in that respect. I think that as well, and this is something that I've done um, for looking at like your social, you've, uh, it looks like for the outside looking in, you've reignited what it was about football that you loved, which is playing the game right. and enjoying it. I've done the same with my guitar. Like there was times where I would pick up my guitar and actually nearly have a panic attack mm-hmm. at doing something that I love because... I was like, no, this this was supposed to be a career. Mm-hmm. This wasn't supposed to be me in my room. I don't want right. to do this. Like, so I had this huge pressure coming on, like put onto myself. 
to do like to get something out of something that I just should have loved doing mm-hmm. because that's what I did when I was fifteen. I used to just sit up for eleven o'clock at night, three in the morning, play my guitar and singing, yeah. and going like I love doing this. And I wasn't writing my own songs; I was singing other people's songs. But I just loved doing that. And then I've in the last sort of six years refound that love for that yeah. and actually started writing songs again. It's like fucking hell, man. I could have been doing this for when I was like seventeen. Exactly. I didn't need this pressure. I could have just went. I love doing this, so I'm going to do it. I'm not going to think about 10 years down the line. I'm not going to be like, I want to be doing this and doing that and having ideas above where I'm at. I could have just gradually maybe went towards a goal and if it didn't work out, had other things going on in my life. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just this one thing, do you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Like, it's like you say, like the last six months, and it took coming out of hospital, it took nearly taking my life, it took that moment, and I've spoken about it before, like, after being locked in a ward for two weeks, not allowed to go to bed when I wanted, not yeah. allowed to eat or drink when I wanted, having everything directed to me, because I was such a fucking hazard to my own personal safety. Yeah. It took being locked up for two weeks almost for me to be allowed outside for 15 minutes one day. I, get, I always get emotional talking about this aspect, oh, but like, looking up at the sun and that, it was the middle of May and just fucking feeling the sun hit my face again and just being like, wow. I need to take control of my life. Mm-hmm. And that, like, to some people, that sounds like fucking happy bullshit. Like, listen to him. Oh, he's had a couple of weeks in hospital and now he's going to take control and change his life. But that genuinely was, that was the moment. So Aye. I tried to kill myself on the 26th of April. I'd done two weeks in hospital where I was still telling him, I want to run away and do this. Like, I'm done. Yeah. Like, the only thing that's keeping me here is that I don't want to do that to my son. But everything in my body is telling me that I, I can't take this suffering yeah. anymore. So they put me in a locked ward for two weeks with the most mentally ill people that I've ever imagined. Like, it was really difficult. Mm-hmm. But that day when, the, you know, I did phone my wife and said, do you think he'll run away pretty much? My wife went, I don't think so. I think he's, he's sort of struggling with what he needs, a bit of downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said to me, go outside for 15 minutes, please come back. And uh, just that sunshine hit my face at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I've still got a picture on my phone that I'd sent to every group chat I'm in just saying, fuck, I'm outside. Like, I'm still here, and through all the trials and tribulations and everything mm-hmm. that I had been through and all the shit I'd put up with and all the shit I'd put myself through, all the shit I'd put other people through, I've still got an opportunity to change this. And that's what drives the, the guy that sits here today to yeah. say, like, I want to help other people have that realisation. It's you know inspiring I mean? to me, mate. Yeah. I don't, I'm not listening to that thinking that's happy stuff. That sounds like a guy that's just had... And I identify with it, just had just such a skewed idea of what life's about. And then you've just, there just seems to have been a penny drop when you've felt that sun and just was, been like, wow, man, it's something you can tap so into simple. when you're out there playing as well. That that feeling, that, that joy of being outside and, and being able to take that control I, again. It was just that moment, like, uh, I've always wanted to be a dad. Like, mm-hmm. my dad fucked off when I was three years old and he's back in my life now, but it's like a touchy, I don't know where the relationship is. Of course. My stepdad, and he's going to listen to this probably, but he was a difficult man to be around, mm. and, like emotionally unavailable, okay. like all this. Like James Doherty was great when he was on the adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Like, you don't realise what they are. Like, it can be the simplest things, but they're traumatic to you. But of course, my stepdad and my mum both played a big part in that. So I decided from about twelve or thirteen, I'm going to be a better dad than the two guys who had the chance to be mine, and then I nearly took that away from myself because. I was so 
Yes, depression took a hold of me, of course it did. And I, but I just didn't deal with it properly. Like, I had all the tools to deal with it. I had the medication, mm-hmm. and I didn't fucking do it. And because of that, I nearly robbed myself of that opportunity. Yeah. And I nearly robbed myself of the opportunity to be a good husband. Like, my wife's unbelievable. She's the most incredible person I've ever met. And I nearly lost that. And yeah. then when I got outside of that first moment, like, it was just like a, just pure gratitude. And gratitude's a buzzword right now. Everybody talks about practicing it, mm-hmm. right? But genuine gratitude, like genuinely feeling thankful for, yeah. thank the Lord or whoever I need to thank. I'm not religious, but whoever it is out there that saved me that night, like, thank you. And Absolutely. That's what drives me being, and I'm not, I'm no perfect, and I'm still mm-hmm. struggling. Most days I still go through shit. Most days can be difficult, but if I can help people, and then anyone just sort of tap into themselves, mm-hmm. just look inwardly, like, trust me, you know the fucking answers most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. You just don't want to hear them, or you don't want to work at it. But it's a powerful example you set, man. And, like, you know, I think as we maybe try and move on a wee bit in terms of where we are now, like, mm-hmm. You know, we've had um, Graham Wilson previously, who is also uh, one of the ambassadors at Back Onside, um, organisation you obviously work with as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's, I, I don't know, can you tell us a wee bit about them? Because it sounds to me as though, you know, you, you see the need for these services, these, yeah. you know, peer-to-peer, these, you know, the openness and gratefulness. And So how does that translate into, you know, what you do with Back Onside? So... I am ambassador from back on side, so I come about by them getting in touch when I was in hospital and right. I've engaged in their counselling services, um, I've engaged in just sort of speaking to them one to one, it's just a really personable And was that because feel. of the football connection? No, I don't, I don't know what it was, I think it was because when I went in the hospital, I'd already spoke pretty openly about my mental health on Twitter, Right. Like, um, like I wrote for the 90 Minute Cynic. Mm-hmm. In 2018, I think, February okay. time. So I'd already kind of said, look, this is where I am. Um, but then what that took me, when the first time I spoke about it, just took me, whew, so many people wanted help. And I was like, I can't do it. I'm not ready for this. Yeah. But, so I'd already sort of started to garner a little bit of a following, if you like, of mm-hmm. people who sort of seen me as this advocate of some sort, albeit I don't like the phrase. But um, so when I went, missing on that night mm-hmm. it was all over social media like because everyone instantly knew vulnerable person yeah um i'd obviously left my wife a suicide message um so it was it gathered a lot of traction yeah um and then when i was apprehended by police and found and then that was released on my twitter i turned my phone on and i just went on to twitter and i said look I can't remember what my exact writing was, but I basically just said, this is what's happened. I'm going away for a while to try and deal with this. Going in, I'm going in section to hospital um, for the next 28 days. Mm-hmm. But thanks, everyone, pretty much. So that sort of drummed out a lot of interest, obviously, um, which back on side picked up on through their feed. And they just reached out to me and said, look, we know you're in hospital, but just to let you know there's services available for your family and you mm-hmm. for your ongoing support once you're through this period. And I took nothing off at first because I was all over the place. Of I mean, I was doped up to the max on diazepam and everything else, so I didn't even know where I was for I the first I can only week. imagine. Um, but as I sort of come out of that phase, and the, mainly the latter part of my hospital stay, where I was starting to prepare for going home and I was starting to feel the anxieties around, I need to go back to normal life now after a month yeah. institutionalised almost, but um, I need to start to like think about my post-hospital care because... Mm-hmm. 
I'm still waiting on the therapy and I'm a high profile yeah. case. I'm six months down the line nearly. I'm still waiting to be sent to an NHS therapist. So I had to think about what do I do when mm-hmm. I get out. So I got in touch with him, uh, Libby specifically, and it just stuck up like a personable relationship. I just felt like someone who I could chat to fairly easily. It's just kind of grew quite organically uh, then. And then as I got out of hospital, I went on holiday as soon as I got out because I thought I'd not ready yet. So we went away for a week. Um, and then when I came back from holiday, so I met Libby f- in person for the first time and she just asked me to be ambassador and I didn't know what the role entailed mm-hmm. but I was like I of course like if I can help people of course um I'll be honest when I first when it first happened I was very very early into this recovery phase and yeah seems like a bold step uh, a couple of weeks at a hospital uh, and I started speaking really openly about my hospital experiences and my suicide attempt and I fucking bailed all to the world mm-hmm. And that triggered everyone thinking I was a counsellor straight away. So mm-hmm. yeah. I became really tough, man. I started spending like I was never off my phone because I was so terrified of missing something. Yeah. And Siobhan would be like that to me, like, put your phone down for an hour or two, like re engaging the world for a minute. Um so it took me time to learn that aspect of it and start to learn that um I can help everybody. Yeah. Uh, I, I can point you in the right direction, I can signpost you and that's sort of what my role is. It's to it's to be a face and to be someone you can mm-hmm. reach out to mm-hmm. and and then I'll signpost <clears throat> you because there's people better qualified to deal with what you need. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's come up a few times in recent conversations where people like yourself and Mandy and a few others where we're like, you know, there is a, a with the best will in the world, <coughs> you want to help as many people as you possibly can, especially when you have a platform like yours or like yours yeah. to actually come and highlight some of these issues. But you also need to recognise that if you're involving yourself in stuff you're not qualified to actually help with, yep. you might in turn do more damage than good and I think it's yep. important that people understand that as, you know, that advocate or whatever, that, you know, you're there to say, look man, I get it, it's alright, you're going to get through this, but I need you to go and speak to this person, I need you to go and speak to that uh, organisation. Like, like, like people put a lot on you and I think yeah. that can be quite counterproductive mm-hmm. because, especially with somebody like yourself who's so open and so honest about their experiences, like, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is the last thing we want to do is feel like we're turning people away. But at the yeah. same time, if we're not the best people to help them, then, you know, we could do more damage than mm-hmm. good. And I think, you know, understanding that, and, and we really need to think, think, start getting that message out to the people who we're engaging with, that we're no psychiatrists and you're no psychologists and all these things. But at the same time, that shouldn't stop you getting in touch to say, look, I need help. Exactly. And then accepting that we can go, well, do you know what? Here's a phone number, here's an email address, that's, here's a you know an address or that's whatever. the great thing for me that back on side is I have the tools at hand. Excellent. So now I can pick up the phone and say, I have someone who is at crisis stage and we need to get them intervention now and we can get them intervention fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's the main reason I got involved because if I'd done all this myself and just been trying to run it myself, Oof. I don't know I don't know any psychologists other than the ones that I've used. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't know someone who's about to start picking up 100 to 150 quid an hour fees. So what the opportunity I have through back on side, which is the main reason I got involved, was if I have people reaching me and they're in crisis or they have genuine things that need genuine counselling, psychology, mm-hmm. psychotherapy, psychiatrist help, I can point you to that quicker than you can get the services. Yeah. And like we said earlier, it's fucking... Uh, tough world we live in that we have stuff like this that need to step in because the services can't provide it but we're so fucking lucky that we have people who are willing to go out their way so that was the main reason I got involved was right well 
If I can't help you, I can now signpost you very quickly mm-hmm. to that help. But does mm-hmm. the signposting look like? So if somebody's listening to the podcast and they're like, they, they genuine, no even just crisis, but they feel something sort of like building up. If somebody was to reach out to you and be like, I'm not feeling right and blah, blah, blah. What are the, what are the sort of signs? Where, where do you direct them? So they go, I'll put them straight through Libby right away. So Libby's the, the founder of Back On Side. So she's who I work with primarily. Okay. And she'll, she'll run most of the funding and all that anyway. She's more qualified than I am. So then if I have a concern about you, I'll put you on her. Mm-hmm. And then she will engage in conversation with you now. The work Libby does, Libby works for this 24-7. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have another life away from this stuff, so I'm no, I can't give you that time. Yeah. Um, but I'm always accessible. I mean, get me on Twitter, you can get... Uh, I give most people my phone number now to make sure I'm accessible, but mm-hmm. uh, what Libby does is unbelievable. She'll take people to hospital appointments. She'll take people up to hospital. She'll... Like she, she's doing proper crisis intervention. Right. Mm-hmm. So every, I'll go to her and then I'll just make sure I'm following up and, and the people that reach out to me to get help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have... Now we have six counts, different types of counsellors and therapists um, who will be able then arrange funding, etc., and get you in touch to, with them. Get you in touch with them, get you appointments set up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, as we spoke about off mic, it's really grown right now. It's I think when I first came on, just looking at the numbers, we had like nine hundred twelve followers. We're now nearly three thousand. You know, yeah. And with that trembling, the amount of people reach out, trebled, everything is growing and that's yep. amazing that people now know that there's support available yeah so i think the peer-to-peer support stuff when we first started in the podcast and i think one of the f- first 10 or 15 episodes with gary folds in aye. and it seemed like something quite new to me i was like right yeah. I, I understand that there's aa and there's like there'll be like narcotics anonymous and there'll be that type that is widely known but just a peer-to-peer group that gary was describing was a bunch of guys that get together just share their experiences, but then after that, they organise games of golf, games of football, yep. how walks, these types of things. Yep. It was very new, but then that, it must be off the back of things like that has inspired other people to do it. And now you yep. see them here, there, dotted here, there and everywhere. And I think that if people are actually like thinking about opening one up and think, oh, there's one already, it's just there. Like, just it doesn't there. matter. Like, is it, if it's on a different day, yep. because if somebody's doing one on a Wednesday, there might be a guy out there that's wanting to go to it that works on a Wednesday night and yep. day one every night of the week if you can, do you know what I mean? I think the, <coughs> the fantastic thing about them is they're bringing loads of different people together. So yeah. where I don't feel, don't feel comfortable talking to my mates about some stuff because they won't understand... If I go, we have a bunch of like-minded people, or people with similar experiences. I can feed off of their experiences, Definitely. and they can feed off of mine. Well, my actual good mates in my life might not be able to, or my family might not be able to help me with that conversation. So I can engage in more powerful and more meaningful conversations with people who I might not have known previously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because I'm saying I'm going to an anxiety support group or something, and do you know what I mean? Like you can connect people. And you Definitely. can get people really relevantly that way. I've got to say, I always find that, you know, in my experience of these types of situations, I personally prefer talking to people that, at you least initially, really I don't really know. Uh, because when you get that feedback or when you get that, you know, that kind of back and forth gone, like what you're getting is complete unvarnished honesty for somebody. Yeah, Whereas, with mm-hmm. it, you know, even with the best intentions, a mate or a family member might be inclined yeah. to like sugarcoat something, even though yeah. they mean well. Yeah. It might not be what you've got. They've got a horse time. in the race. You know like I mean? If you're talking to your wife or your girlfriend, they've got a huge, huge. You, they, 
they're invested in yeah. a huge part yeah. of you and no matter what they'll always have something that maybe is done through fear so like maybe the, what they say or what the way they react it'll just yeah. be a fear response and that's, that's not going to really help anybody that's where i'm massively lucky that siobhan that she, i think because she sees it every day she's in her mm -hmm. she sees it every day so if i've got something or she sees something then she just boom like straight on it. aye so i'll i won't even know at times that i'm not feeling it and she'll be like you're not right like is something not right with you and i'll be like what do you mean she'll be like oh you're a bit snappy or this or that like she so I'm very fortunate and I'm very, very thankful that she's in my life because she gives me that at home. Mm -hmm. I know that people don't have that at home. Yeah. Most mm -hmm. people don't have someone who will do that, but that's allowing me to sort of learn that from her as well mm -hmm. so that when people do reach out to me, I can start to give them the yeah, right really, really. Advice, So, I mean, so. what kind of... As, as, uh, obviously, there's going to be a peer-to-peer -peer, um, sort of talking sessions as, you know, we've yeah. just kind of talked on. Like, what, what other kind of services are available so back on side services on -side. at the moment uh, the moment we're in a bit of a, an awareness drive so you see mm -hmm. a lot of going into schools and having talks and just these are really important just, we need to educate kids I, it's about education and a huge thing for me and it's where I want to push my life to as well of sort of you know there's a couple of facets in my life that I'm looking at like, where do I want to go into and mm -hmm. I'm big on the, let's help people on a one-to-one -one basis uh, like help people look inward sort mm -hmm. of have the experience use my experience to help people identify with what may have been going on in their life and things like that and I'm really big on that but I'm not I'm not ready to do it yet because I'm still learning so that's maybe f a few years down the line mm -hmm. when I say right this is where I've been and this is how I've grown to now so I want to focus on that and try to do some education in myself around that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but what I'm also big on is educate through experience so not only support through experience like educate through experience so like, I implore schools, football clubs, anyone, like, use people like me. Definitely. Use people like me. Use people like Graham Wilson. Use people like Christian Nadi, who works with us, who's a footballer, who's yeah. been on the end, edge of it. Like, I, I just believe so that having... Hearts he was at? Aye, so... Amongst others. Aye, so he came out at some point last year, sort of said it's that... quite high profile in Scottish terms, and I think aye. that's something we need merit, particularly in, like, the footballing realm is, like... And obviously, you know, in, in the last year, like gay footballers have become this thing that people are waiting for people to start coming out about but like mental health in football is something that when you see an actual high-end professional footballer come out and go i struggled with x y and z like as a man who's spent his entire life following football like that's a really powerful like the first time uh -huh. neil lennon for example you know the first time neil lennon sat in front of a press conference and spoke about his depression like I was in the weeds at the time and like that was that was mind-blowing to see somebody i had so much love and affection for come out and go Almost gives you a lift because you say, "Well, if he can, if he Aye. struggles, then there's if he no can stand in front of cameras and talk, yeah. if he can stand in front of cameras, if he can talk to the press, if he can put up with what he puts up with and still be <coughs> open and honest, like a, a, a nadi or whatever it is, like then the more the merrier." Because the example they say it's so important, like money, doesn't it? Doesn't matter, and, and it doesn't even matter the the success of your career either. No. It, it, I think like what, what you're saying about like going inward. Like that's something that I'm massive on. I'm yeah. huge on it. Like I'm like I meditate twice a day. I practice gratefulness. Um, I try and stay present as much as possible. I was yeah. talking to a guy on Twitter the other day where he was at, he was asked a, a just a, an open question about how, why are people how are feeling people how are people feeling about politics and how do people know why is everybody not just like panicking about this situation? And I'd said to him that. Really, like, 
you should these things should be able to happen and you yep. should be able to just be like keep yep. them at arm's length mm. and not get too caught up in them because you need to have an element of sort of like inner peace about yourself to be able to deal with you can deal with anything like you are definitely I think that everybody's going to deal with losing a job yep. everybody's going to deal with losing a, a close family member Every most people will deal with like a big breakup yep. anything could happen to you in the next 10 years and you need to be there needs to be an element of you that's okay with that yep. and just willing to let it happen yep. and be comfortable in the knowledge that you can actually deal with that and I think that when you're talking about like going inward that is what that is, is Aye. being able to create an environment where even if somebody was to come up and attack you violently, you'd be able to deal with that without yep. crumbling. Because exploding. Exactly. I think that's, and that's a, been a massive thing for my life recently since uh, in this whole recovery phase over mm-hmm. the last five and a half, six months is like really just looking at myself and it's a lot of buzz phrases, but they're so true. So like control the controllables, right? So like you're saying with politics and the whole Brexit fiasco and all that, I can't control that. Right. Nobody, nobody can. I, I don't know <laughs> what the fuck Boris Johnson's going to do today, so I, I'm not going to stress about it. So I, I'll keep my eye on it and see if it's I'll going to impact my, my life. For when we're fighting our bread in Tesco's, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's so true. And then like, just, just really focusing on like, what can I control today? Yeah, and I'm massive on also like one of the first things I always sort of remind myself in the mornings. I've come through 100% of my worst days in my life so far, so it's going to stop me this not going through the day. That's the thought that always kind of gets me by, is that, like, you know, it's got dark, it's got rough in places, but, like, I've won, right. I've won every single fucking time. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm still here, so I won every one of the battles. You and, know what I mean? Like, and don't get me wrong, man, I might have done some bad things to come through the day, yeah. right? I might have done some things that, Wasn't people, it always pretty? Uh-huh. that, that people won't be able to understand or resonate with, but yep. at the end of the day, I'm still here. Yeah. And... If I, if I can understand that every day, mm-hmm. then whatever life's going to throw at me, I can deal with. And yep. if I can't deal with it, and I'm struggling to deal with it, then I've got a bit of a good, I've got a fantastic support network who will help me deal with it. Yeah. And I think that's what I want to encourage people to give to others, is that let's like make connections, make genuine, real connections with people, and let's give each other support networks. So some of the closest people in my life I've met on their Twitter Mm-hmm. I mean, I've grown yeah. up with people my full life. Don't speak to them. But we get so caught up in this. Oh, oh have you been my mate for school and all that? And just like, you trust your gut, build your support network from people who genuinely can help you mm-hmm. and just focus on controlling your controllables. That's, that's just what we can do. Worrying about mm-hmm. people who are in your, your life as a result of habit. I'm really encouraged to see that in England, at least, and hopefully it's going to come in Scotland and the rest of the UK, that they're making mindfulness and meditation mandatory in school it's massive i think that's huge to see to if somebody well i don't know if if for me like i'm sure it would have been but if somebody had sat me down and explained to me that what you're thinking isn't necessarily a part of the person that you are like you can ignore it like you don't need to engage and if just because you think that that person's an arsehole doesn't mean that they're an arsehole like Mm -hmm. that that's you like it's about it's more about you than it is about the other Uh person yeah and things like um, like you're saying, like stuff like try to keep friends for when you were young and people that have meant something to you 10, 15 years ago that no longer put that effort in, that's not about you, it's more about them and that their actions are probably get merited with their hang-ups yeah, than yeah. yours and don't worry about that. If they want to be in your life, they'll be there and as long as you're happy with the effort that you've made with them, then that's all that you can do. Again, going back to that, control the controllables or you can control yourself. <coughs> yeah. And I've got mates that 
since I've went into like <coughs> a recovery phase or I've changed my life have drifted away. I'm not angry at them. I no. still love the guys. Yeah. Like, and when I see them and when I do <coughs> message them, or me. if I see them like twice a year instead of once a week, I'm like, "How are you doing? I want, mm. I want to know." But for some reason, people are just like, "Well, you've not phoned me, and like, well, you can fuck off then." It's just like, I can't be fucked with that. Like, yeah, just I, live I mean, your life and just let let happen what happens. Shit, one's great at, for that for me, and I think like the most common phrase that comes out of her mouth almost is, "That's their shit." So I'll get annoyed at people thinking, well, "That's their shit," and it's like. So true. Like, that's going to be in the ballpark of the thing I say to my wife most often as well. <laughs> it's like, that's got nothing to do with you. Aye. Like, mm-hmm. even the you know, situation she might actually be involved Aye. in. Having genuine mean? compassion and empathy for yourself and then others lifts so many. Like, I, I, I think about this a lot. I used to just float about stressed in my mind mm-hmm. and people would walk. This is the one that I. People walking slowly in front of me in tune. I used to be like, fucking assholes, man. Like, move. Like I'm, I've got somewhere to go. What that person Disney? So yeah. what? What's your goal got today with what they're what doing? They're doing and yeah. I reflect on that and think, why did I used to be like that? It was just because I had so much conflict going in, and I was so like horrible to myself and about myself that I just spewed that out into other people. Yeah. I think this is what we can use things like back on side and uh, one of our upcoming episodes, like Royston Youth Action, about the education of kids. Like yeah. we can teach from our experiences. Like the next generation to maybe no be frustrated by somebody walking so in front of them or road rage or however million and one different ways people's anxiety or you know uncomfortable or discomfort with themselves sort of yep. emanates for them you know what I mean and I think that's where I want to see the focus you know mindfulness in schools is a phenomenal thing like having organisations like back on side and whatnot going in and actually speaking to kids because like. An academic understanding of the world is fine, and that's yeah. largely what school aims to give you, yeah. um, because it's about you know taking transferable skills elsewhere. But the one thing that school doesn't, and I never, and I always regretted about my days in school was that never taught me how to live in the real world. No. Never taught me how to like understand myself. I was thirty five before the thought occurred to me that it was all right to have emotion. Aye. You know what I mean? Like, Which is funny, but I spent thirty five years of my life as a man suppressing and. You yep. know, trying to subdue any meaningful emotion in my yep. life because nobody at any point ever went, dude, it's cool. Oh, it's fine. But I think with guys like yourselves and that going into schools nowadays and actually saying, well, look, let's be mindful of ourselves and let's see where that takes us and let's learn for actual life experience and let's oh. see where that takes us. I also think there's an aspect of it. Like, I remember being a teenager at school or even in football changing rooms when they used to send professionals in to speak to you and it'd be like... Mm-hmm whoever it was let's just say I sent a psychologist into 25 kids in a classroom right now and absolutely no disrespect to any psychologists out there but your learnings from a book only going to resonate as much with the kids as me going in and saying look yeah. this is my life this uh-huh. is what happened to me this is the mistakes I made this is absolutely this is what I've learned I mean I feel like I can connect and hold that connection longer than someone who probably hasn't lived it which is mm-hmm. why I'm so big on Let's use the experience of people to go in and help people. Like yeah. I see a lot of like recover, recovering addicts who have been recovered for a long time, and they still have that stigma. But you were an addict, mm-hmm. so fuck. They made mistakes, like, but what they've done, what they've achieved, like post that addiction, yeah, that recovery phase. Like, let's use these people, uh, celebrate mm-hmm. that. Uh, Don't yeah. just just paint them with the brushy junkie or alky or whatever it is. Actually, but like, fuck, man. They were in that and they got out of it. That, yeah. That's 
they've got a toolkit that everybody could fucking use. That that everyone just could so learn calm. from. Uh, right. You just so everyone happen to find yourself in that situation. That's the guy that's going to help you. Right. Don't look, look down your nose at him. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's and I think I think we could really, as a society, we could really push that more. So, mm-hmm. and I see the decriminalisation of, decriminalization of drugs coming can only be a good thing for that. But let's, let's use these people. Like, like, and it, for me, for my mental health aspect, where I've made really bad decisions, mm-hmm. where I've done really shitty fucking things, where I've, like you say, suppressed all my shit and projected all my shit to other people mm-hmm. and made other people's lives hell at times because I couldn't live with who I was. Yep. And I'm and I, talking even my own wife's had a fucking tough time with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she stuck by me. And like, so use people like me who can, or maybe not right now, but in time, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to look back and go, look, I now understand why all that happened. Mm-hmm. And I can teach you a little bit about it. And I can teach you not to make the same fucking mistake. <coughs> and again, it's big for me in football because I've got obviously an affinity to football and I've played yeah. it my whole life. My son's now obsessed with it. And I've got a big worry if he ever ends up in that academy system, does he go through the same shit I went through? It's like, a lot of pressure to put uh, on young like kids use people. Stage. Yes, there's a success stories and guys will make it. Like Get them to go in and say, mm-hmm. if you work hard, you do this, do that, you can be like me. But also, what about getting guys like me and who maybe didn't quite make it and it fucking impacted my life so negatively to say, look, see if this doesn't work out, don't stress. Because yep, your life will be world. just fine as long as you do mm-hmm. other things or you do the right I things. I think that, that you, you should actually just no worry about your boy because... He's got you, <laughs> and he's got That's, your experience like yeah. firsthand to be yeah. like, listen, playing football's great, and looking at um, Rashford's great, and wanting to be that millionaire football player's great. But at the same time, keep your feet in the ground, enjoy playing football, and explore other things. It's not right. like the be all and end all if you don't make it. If you're no part of the zero point one percent of these yeah. boys that end up making, it. I mean, when I was at school, I used to go down a Greenfield Park on a Saturday afternoon and play games of football. And there's hundreds of boys there just mm-hmm. for East End of Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And you think about that and UK wide pure small section of East End. Aye, there's so many, there's so many guys that there's so many boys that want that. And like I think that you shouldn't you shouldn't be worrying about it, yeah. man, because he's got you to to, to hang with that experience and do just that one. Um, I, I mean, I'm happy to end it there, man. Our rules are over. And, like I've had a, an amazing conversation. I've yeah, I mean, yeah. I just want to me. sadly promote one thing. No, yeah, yeah. no, no, I would say back to. Uh, the peer-to-peer support groups that the conversations focus so much yep. around. Myself and Javon are launching our own one. Um, Outstanding. So we are launching a support group called Time to Tackle. Okay. And it will be around giving people the opportunity to play football. Mm-hmm. People who are interested in football the opportunity to play football for an hour um, a week in the south side. But also there will be an hour set aside for tea, coffee, conversation. I don't really want to call it a support group because I don't want to label it with people or you yeah. need to have problems to come. If you just feel a bit fucking lonely, you can come. If you just feel like, by the way, I want a kickabout for free. Kick come along, have a kickabout. We'll, we'll have a kickabout. If you don't even like football and you hate it, but you want to come along and meet some people, mm-hmm. like come along. It's uh, going to be starting on the 30th of October. Uh, in the south side, um, venue to be confirmed, but it will be from 7 o'clock and it'll be every Wednesday ongoing and it's called Time to Tackle and the name's just centred around obviously having a football connotation <coughs> and the whole tackling but let's yeah. tackle isolation let's tackle stigma let's mm-hmm. tackle some anxieties depressions whatever you're going through man let's fucking tackle it and let's use the power Something of football uh, to do that sounds really interesting to me one of the things as I've in recent years addressed mental health medication alcoholism and various other things the next one on my list is, is my weight and that's something that sounds like, you know, I'd be, I've been looking at the man versus fat type stuff and yeah. 
going with it, you know, what can I engage with that will actually allow me to build a wee bit of fitness experience, a wee bit of community and stuff. So, I mean, like, that's definitely something I'll check out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to check out as well because, like, I've not played football since I was like 17, 18. And that in any well. sort of meaningful way, do you know what I mean? Like, I've been to a couple of games of fives, like, mates are. Because I go to the gym and I'm fit, and mates will be like, "What I can do? We need a body." And I, I can run, I can run about for an hour, but I'm, I'm shit at football. And I never, I, I used to be all right. Do you know what I mean? That so, as well. Like the premise of this, and the reason I always <coughs> wanted to do it was, uh, well, I always wanted to do it. Anyway. I always thought football could be used as a therapeutic thing. Definitely I've used it right. But the main reason and the main driver for this is when I was in hospital on a Tuesday afternoon for my last two weeks in hospital when I was allowed off the ward. Uh, my Tuesday afternoon, we were allowed to go play football for an hour, mm. taking to a football class. And that made my last two weeks in the hospital bearable because I knew I had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew that there would be a bunch of guys we'd all go have a kick about and it would be fun. And some of them, my old dude, it's about fucking shit at football, man. But it was <laughs> good. It was just yeah. good. good things. See, that's right? one of the things that stops me going. Well, I've, we've got a, a common mate and one of his uncles is an ex-professional football player. So I was going to these games of fives and there's like four ex-professional football players and they're just like <laughs> lost. I mean, right, but I these just... guys can't run the length of themselves. Uh-huh. They'll touch their pass and no disrespect to them, they would go on at you because you're shit and I would just be like, mate, fuck up. Right. Like, I'm not even going right, to so pay so you any attention. We'll steer so, away from that. It'll, right, just be, it'll not... be a laugh and it'll be yeah. like, and then there'll be the opportunity if you are fucking struggling, like yeah. my wife will be there. She's excellent. I'll be there. There'll be another couple of people there who've got life experiences and have come through shit and can probably help you and mm-hmm. we can create that sort of support environment and a safe environment where you can just come and talk and then if there's anyone else I go a walk every Wednesday in Rooking Glen Park that some people started to tag along on and there's a consideration to make it a walk and talk group but not sure whether I'm going to do that yet or not probably mm-hmm. in time but if anyone wants to hit me up on Twitter and just go a walk and clear your mind or anything Absolutely. like that awesome mate so we'll obviously get all that retweeted and promoted about we can as well we'll get this episode out, another episode that's got a time sensitive subject but we'll get this episode out before the 30th of October absolutely yep. so it's the 30th of October what time's that? so it'll be 7 o'clock uh, at it'll probably be Goals in Rick and Glen mm-hmm. um, that's the place we're looking at so obviously I'm just dealing with the funding aspect of it right now but yep. it's either going to be in Rick and Glen or in Shortlands okay. and there's a line of thinking that I might do a week in Rick and Glen and a week in Shortlands mm-hmm. That's awesome. But thanks for coming in, man. As we're saying, it was a long time coming, but I've had a, an amazing conversation. I feel yeah, like we're quite uplifted and <laughs> we've just been sitting shooting the shit, man. But I like thanks very much for coming Aye. in and yeah, we'll be sure me. to push like the um back on side and the uh, the football thing for the forty yeah. foot October, mate. Great. Thank Cheers, you. Man. Great for Cheers. you, man. Thanks, thanks very much. Oh